Hey everyone, uh, Trent here from Sal, joined by Zach, and uh, excited to be bringing you an interview with a special guest today. Uh, we have Eli Ash with us uh, in production from Mustache, which is probably uh, one of my favorite agency names out there, if not my favorite. Um, but hey, Eli, do you want to say hi to everyone and uh, introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, thank you for having me. Um, I'm Eli Ash, I'm the head of production at Mustache Agency. Um, do you want my whole hero's journey? <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, let's. We we love the hero's journey. I uh, took a lot took a lot of uh, English classes in college, so I'm here for it. <laughs> um. Okay. So I I grew up in Florida. I try not to advertise that too much because it, it, it Florida. Um, <laughs> I can I can confidently say I never did bath salts, and I got out before uh, it was too late. Um, but because I grew up in the Orlando area, right outside of Disney and Universal, which um, got me access to the world of production really early. I started as a child actor, um, doing mostly commercials and promos for Disney, which will hopefully never oh, nice. again the light of day and will live forever <laughs> in the dusts of time. Um, it's in the Disney but- vault, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully nobody will ever resurface that. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> Not meant to be in front of the camera. And uh, so I would, uh, I got access to um, being on set pretty young. I think around seven is maybe when I started, seven or eight. And I uh, really was more interested in what everybody uh, around me was doing rather than the performance piece. And so I'd be running away from the child wranglers or the teachers and poking the AD or running to the, you know, Jamie team and asking them like, what are you doing? What is this? What's that? And um, my mom was like, you know, you can do that instead. You don't have to <laughs> do the other stuff. You're clearly not very interested in it. Um, and so that opened up the whole idea that that could be a career path and that making what we see on screen is a job. Um, and I thankfully had that access point early on. And so it was pretty much like, the only path forward from there, I never had a backup plan or anything else that I was going to do. It was just production. Um, and so I, I got the opportunity to intern and um, do a lot during high school even and just get exposure really early to what a production office looks like. And I was excited to do all of like the menial tasks and any kind yeah. of administrative thing because it was just fun. Um, and from there just did a little bit more of like a traditional route of like I went to film school, wasted way too much money on absolutely unnecessary, but you know, (laughs) I come from a family that is very much of the higher degree mentality. I'm like the only one without a PhD, Um, but that's okay. Uh, And I climbed the ladder from there. I, you know, started in really crappy reality television, um, And so I would be doing PA and coordinating work by day and then uh, assistant editing and ingesting um, by night and on weekends. And so I kind of parallel passed getting uh, production and post experience simultaneously, truly because I needed it to have enough money to survive in New York, not because I was um, thoughtful enough at 20 years old to know that that would that later on help me in life. It was it was more a need than anything else but um i get to uh, get exposure to that early on which then led to as i 
progressed in the ladder on production, you know, up to coordinating and production managing. Um, I was also doing that on the post side and moving into um, post producing and post supervising. Um, And those two paths aligned well enough that when I started producing, I also was post producing and, and seeing my projects through the full funnel. And I well, I didn't realize how special that was when I first started doing it um, or how important that would then be later on mm-hmm. in my career where I am now. Um, but it was something that was a, another really special access point that I had early on that I'm incredibly grateful for now. But very traditional production journey, uh, uh, steadily climbing the ladder. I floated between television and commercial pretty regularly, but... Um, in the last probably like, you know, six or eight years, I've been uh, predominantly on the commercial side or short form content side. Um, but I have done pretty had touched everything digital media branded content, more music videos than I want to admit, uh, <laughs> or ever <do> again. <laughs> and uh, even some narrative and short form um, original content as well. And then, you know, that led me um, most recently to joining the team at Mustache, um, which is also uh, a bit of an amalgam of every kind of content that you can imagine. We call ourselves a creative content agency, and we're really um, touching on on, uh, media of all scales, everything from traditional TVCs and uh, commercial campaigns to uh, digital and social content, social retainers, even um, uh, all the way through to original content and television. Um, and so it's kind of a, the perfect place, I, I think, that I could ultimately wind up because it's a little yeah. bit of everything. And I thankfully got a taste of a lot of that um, on my come up. And it was nice to find a home that saw that you could collectively produce great work across screens of all sizes with the same fundamental team, which was fun. Nice. That- that's, <laughs> that's quite the story. Um, that, that's probably the best hero's journey I've heard so far. I, I like it. <laughs> I like Reality that you TV, were the one. music videos. <laughs> yeah. Also, I was also gonna- a McGraw-Hill uh, textbook infomercial. It's one of my greatest hits. <laughs> You know, as someone who recently, you know, was using McGraw-Hill, I I can say I respect that a lot. That's pretty cool. (laughs) I like it. Yeah. I like that you were the one in front of the camera and you wanted to be the one behind the camera. I feel like that is the opposite of what most people typically try and do. But maybe I'm wrong. I just that was interesting to me and stuck out to me uh, in particular. Um, So I had a question that I wanted to bring up before we get into some of the questions related to our current environment. Um, I have this hunch, and maybe it's just me personally, this is why I'm asking you, uh, that a lot of brands don't put the same amount of focus on good quality content creation for social uh, as they do for some of the other traditional forms of advertising. Do you think that's the case? Do you guys have that same experience at Mustache? Uh, And if, if that is true, that they are not putting the same amount of focus onto creating quality content. Why do you think that is? I definitely think that's still the case. Although I will say that it's trending a little bit better recently. Um, I think that we're just going through a transition of understanding that the TV campaign is no longer the 
pillar of your messaging anymore and that um, it's a hard transition in the same way it was when we moved from print to motion in the first place. And mm-hmm. I don't think that we, although uh, advertising in generally in general, I think is technolo- technologically advantageous, it is like anything else, uh, still something that's very human and, and made by humans and humans take a while to adapt to change. And I think it just kind of comes down to psychology at the end of the day that we're transitioning our thinking from what we have lived and breathed in for literally decades of um, the TV campaign being the ultimate um, goalpost for any brand message. And now we're seeing that uh, social and digital and and our small screen and that um, mobile access is really taking over. I don't think that larger traditional brands have completely switched uh, gears yet. I think we're Mm -hmm. more money and more energy behind full funnel campaigns and understanding that you can't just do a TV spot, that you have to have a multitude of cross-platform assets. But we're not in a place yet where we're saying, hey, we need to put the bulk of our, our budget behind these smaller assets, behind a collection of bite-sized content pieces that we're going to push out on digital and social platforms. I think they're still putting a lot of money behind the TV spot or they're saying, or the idea is that, oh, we're going to make, you know, 10 things for social because it's on a smaller scale or smaller screen, we're going to spend half of the budget on it. And I think what the conversation really should be is how do we take what used to be a really robust uh, television um, budget and media buy and now transition that into um, a, a an amalgam of content across platforms that we're also putting paid behind as well and pushing out, not just dropping organically in feed. And there's a different mode to that, a different strategy behind that. And it takes connecting all of the pieces and all of the, the different analytics quite frankly to do that well and do that right and it's not at all cheaper and i think that's the part that we're missing is like quality content is not cheaper period like you are still paying for amazing creative ideation on the forefront you still need to invest a lot of time and strategy probably more time because we're talking about strategy across many different outputs um you really got to take a close look at the analytics on the back end and who's consuming that content and by how much and why and where are they dropping off. And um, thankfully, we can take a deeper lens to it now. And I, I would say that the payoff is greater because we're not just relying on some kind of like amorphous media analytics that are going to come back from a television uh, campaign. And instead, we can get really, really detailed information, which is promising and interesting on the side of advertising and terrifying as a human that's existing in this world knowing how much information can be extracted just from watching a video on an Instagram feed or uh, a pushed ad through YouTube. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, well, good point. I mean, it's funny when you being a consumer and then being behind the curtain in the advertising marketing world and you just realize how much info there is it's you know it's pretty crazy um but it's a good point you bring up i think uh i feel like i've seen it too the last couple of years i've been working seeing it start to shift too but it's um you know to your point i think the quality of the content is not supposed to change and the cost of it doesn't either it's just the medium is different and sometimes going to a newer medium requires more of an effort to figure out how to do it best for the consumer and 
So I think he brought up a really good point there. And I'm curious too, uh, I guess to not necessarily the elephant in the room, but I guess the world outside of our rooms um, with, with COVID-19 going on, you know, obviously this has changed how all of us have needed to work. And we've talked about this a little bit, or I've heard a little bit about what Mustache is doing uh, outside of this call. But, you know, I'm curious, like, how have the realities of production changed for you as a result of what's going on? You know, what kind of practices and techniques have you had to kind of adopt as a, as an agency here? Yeah, I think that there's the obvious answer first, which I can just nail on the head, which is uh, we are not standing up productions with 65 plus crew anymore and putting together um, the kind of scale of of jobs that we have previously. Um, I think that the the major transition that we saw immediately across the board is that everyone flipped into, all right, we're going to do post work. We're going to remix assets. We're going to change VO. um, We're going to screen capture uh, Zoom and conference calls and, and video chats. And, and make do with that. And I think that we've, we've all seen that now over the last, you know, five, six weeks ad nauseum of what it, the obvious measures are and choices are that everyone is doing. And I think from a mustache side, we're really looking at how do we continue to make great work in this space without it being obvious that we did it during this time. And that's what I'm more compelled to explore and come up with solutions for, because at the end of the day, it's not as worthwhile to us nor our clients to put out a piece of content that really exists in the vacuum of time that we're in right now. It's more, I think, important or um, worthwhile of an investment on both our time as well as the money from the brand that's going behind it to come up with solutions that are more evergreen and uh, palatable months from now. So that way they're not just yeah. looking at scraping something together for the time being. And, and that's really been the, uh, the focus, honestly, for me, since we went into isolation and I knew I was stopping down production on a multitude of jobs. We had a couple of different travel jobs that were going on and it was, all right, let's get the team back on, <laughs> get on, on planes and fly them home. And, yep. uh, stop everything down um, pretty much cold in its tracks. And I think part of it is that I am an incredibly stubborn person by nature. It's just how I was raised. And the other part of it is that production as a whole is a very bootstrap industry. And um, it's this kind of like blue collar mentality of like, we're going to get something done. We're going to figure it out and there will be a way. And it's it's like that on any job, quite frankly, no matter how much money you have towards something, you're always trying to solve for something else. Um, and I, that's where my tra- my chain of thinking kind of came together is like, well, you know what, I think that the way that we are producing the content has to change. But it doesn't mean that the stories or the messaging have to be totally different. I think that instead of looking at this as one a one or two day shoot with 65 plus people, we could instead scale down to maybe 10 or 12 micro sized shoots. Um, I have this huge network of, of creators and content makers that I've known over the last long, many years in my career before I date myself. Um, and on top of that, so does my team at Mustache. We've all got a lot of really great resources in our pockets from directors and producers and photographers and DPs who have in-home studios to um, folks with just access to equipment or access to locations or, or different kinds of 
um, components that if you assemble them all together can still tell the same kind of brand story. It's just breaking it apart into a, a multitude of pieces as opposed to one large one day um, project. It's it's hard to put that eloquently. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's a, that- oh, mm-hmm. totally. I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a crazy puzzle piece that you have to put together right now. And, um, you know, I mean, even for me, just the amount of uh, kind of animation production jobs I've been doing the last few weeks, you know, I've just been living in, in this, this app called Frankie, which is like live reviews from the animator's screen. And it's just, it's interesting, the different tools that you realize exist that you never heard of before. Um, but I, I would love to hear a little bit more about those micro teams that you kind of uh, hinted at there, because it's kind of a really smart tool to to still keep things going and, and reaching out to the different networks of creators and would love to hear a little bit more about that. Uh. Yeah. So, okay. Maybe the easiest way to disassemble it uh, would be uh, to use just a fabricated example. So say we're putting a, it, we want to put together out uh, an Anthem 30 second um, heart strings pulling brand story piece. And um, totally. it's really, it, just a montage of different moments, right? You know, you've got, uh, we need a shot of uh, sunrise up the A1A on the California coast. And I would think about that as like, okay, that's one, one shot or one segment that we might need uh, to just show this beautiful landscape. Great. Let me call up my drone team that I've got on the West coast um, and, and ask them to grab that shot for us. uh, Next, we need a family having dinner, um, just a traditional American uh, family. (laughs) And uh, we we actually went through and put together a list of different um, directors and VPs and and, uh, folks that we know along with photos of their homes and their family members and things that they can readily shoot while they're in quarantine. And so we pull up that that deck with all of the images and think like, who's the right look for this? Who's really going to hit home on the messaging and has the kitchen that kind of gets us like as close as we can to um, where we need to be. Okay. Let's, let's, let's go with them. Let's tag them in. Let's get a shot, a couple shots, have them shoot their, their dinner um, together tonight and send that back to us. Um, And then say we need like a product lockup on top of that. And uh, then we're hitting up another one of our resources to see, okay, who's got the right kind of tabletop setup and surfaces that we're looking for that we can ship product to um, and get them to take uh, a couple video um, assets of that in exactly the way that we need it or in the situ that we need. Uh, and, And sort of just piecing things together that way. So instead of thinking about it as like, one day getting everything it's extracting each of those frames and each of those moments and thinking who are our best resources that we have to get us there and it's challenging in the sense that we're not we don't have this unlimited pool of casting we can't just look at like hundreds and thousands of location options we're really limited to just what we have a direct access point to or going out and and finding more um more talent, more creators, more people that we can continue to build that network from. Um, but it's still workable. It's still doable. It also involves a lot of, a lot of communication where we're doing video scouts and video tech calls and camera tests. You know, you've got to do remote casting and remote fittings. There's a lot of shipping, a lot of mailing anything back and forth, whether it be arts and props, 
um, and materials to wardrobe, and it means getting on group conference calls uh, very frequently in order to help get that set up. A lot of the times you're shipping equipment to talent, to people who aren't typically uh, technically savvy, um, nor are they uh, craftsmen (laughs) that can construct an entire set build for you. So it's making the most out of the access points and and just getting really nimble and really, really creative with um, what we can do. Because I think that it's still, anything is still possible as long as you can be flexible and open your mind to finding your best route forward. It's not going to be at the same scale or with the same malleability as something that we completely create from scratch in a studio, but it can mm-hmm. still, it can be great. It can still be really well done and really well put together um, if we take the time to do it and put the muscle and the weight into connecting all those logistical dots. Yeah. Um, and listening to that too, I mean, it you have to put so many moving pieces together and I'm curious, have you... Uh, have you as an agency been able to stay at the same speed or have you kind of found that production timelines have just naturally had to get a little bit longer um, given like the different uh, situations we're having to solve for now? I don't know that there's much of a difference between the timelines they are just happening in a different way. So like we still need, Mm -hmm. you know, relatively the same amount of prep. It's not like that's compressing. It's just being done in these remote and digital capacities. And we've got also account for shipping delays and things moving just a little bit slower um, on the outside world because of the crisis right now and, and just be amenable to that, quite frankly. Um, and it, I, it, it's all just, it's all happening. It's just happening in a different way. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty, pretty similar. I also feel like Mustache did not stop a beat. You know, we... Um, we honestly just pulled right into immediately putting together a lot of our own internal PSA content and trying to make things that we felt were really resonant to what needed to be said right now and encouraging people to stay home, especially at the very beginning of this, when there was maybe not as much of an urgency to take this seriously, um, in certain regions of, of the country. And, Uh, we're creators, we're makers. We are at the end of the day, people who just love to do what we do. So even if it's not for a campaign or for a TV show that we're working on, it's still in our blood to make. So that's exactly what we did um, during the first few weeks uh, until things kind of started to come back to life um, on the client side when, when the initial panic settled down and people were like, all right, let's, let's, let's reconnect here. I think that there's a road forward and um, started to be more interested in having the conversation with us around what we could do. Um, So I I don't know. I feel like we've been uh, full steam ahead the whole time. (laughs) 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 I must say that on my end, I've, I've had a very similar experience. Um, we have not really had a slowdown. Like we had to switch into PSA mode and and the projects have definitely changed, but there hasn't really been a slowdown. And um, just to piggyback off of what you're saying, it's amazing to me how well, um, not everyone, but especially in your case, how well you've been able to transition and how we've been able to continue creating from literally living rooms. 
you know, like doing the exact same stuff that we were doing before. And just on a dime, everyone was able to start putting their brains together to find new ways to approach this. And that's just, it's just a testament to how awesome this industry is, in my opinion. So I had to get that out before I asked the next question, because it's it's really special to see. And especially in a time like this, it's it's a little light at the end of this tunnel. And it's so special to see. Um, I agree with on. Though I, I think that's like it's something that we should probably focus a little bit of more energy on because although that there we could all really like talk endlessly about how hard this is and how much it sucks, but at the end of the day, it's also a really cool moment, and it takes moments like this in order to create a cause for innovation. And I think we're going to come out of this with a thousand new ideas and ways to approach things. It's going to have unlocked an entire different corner and our creative brains and our logistical brains. Um, and there's going to be a lot of positive that comes out of it too. Yeah, we're going to, this is going to be that time when 20, 30 years from now, we're going to look back and reference this as the like beginning of so many new ideas and so many new ways of conducting our business and a huge shift to our industry, which is, it's crazy to think we're in that moment and that we're, we're right in the middle of that right now. Um, yeah. So one thing we wanted to touch on is obviously live events are almost impossible. And that's a big chunk of traditional television sporting events um, in particular are a huge chunk of traditional television and also very big for advertisers. So with all of those large events essentially becoming non-existent for the time being, uh, so many more so many more audiences have moved to digital content and consuming digitally. Do you feel like you stand to benefit from that as uh, since most of your content is already on those digital platforms and it looks like many people who maybe weren't making the shift over to some of those more digital formats now have in light of the current situation? Yeah, I definitely think this is going to be a big push in that direction across the board. And we're seeing that already. Um, there's obviously a spike in a need for uh, content consumption and that is just going to continue to grow. But I am also intrigued by the the live event side and like how far it's going to swing and if it's going to swing too far, quite frankly, because I think at the end of the day, when it comes to human interaction and the sense of physically sharing a space with different people and attending something in real life, nothing takes the place of that. There is something about human connection, about touch, about being around each other and looking at somebody in the eye in real life versus on a video screen that is not replicable. And I, I, that's just a part of being alive, quite frankly. And so, yes, for the time being, I see us swinging in that direction, but I don't really think that anything's going to replace, replace what it's like to be together, honestly. And it, what I would like to see is perhaps maybe when things are more normal again, uh, maybe a swing into experiential, quite frankly, where we kind of marry the two worlds. I'm really, really passionate about experiential. And I think it's an area and a space that we've seen a lot of traction in, in the last few years, specifically with events. Um, and I think it would be interesting if we find that kind of marriage between the two in the middle ground of how we come together and experience technology and screens and, and different mediums for consuming content, but in a space um, that's collective. Uh, and there may be new roads ahead for what that looks like in uh, smaller group settings or, or you know, less crowded <laughs> spaces. But mm -hmm. uh, I think I'm curious to see how that 
changes or how that turns. Um, in the meantime, and while we're in our strange new normal, I see a lot of, uh, you know, renegade live streams, a lot of performers and musicians and artists that are just going live direct to their following on, on social and on Instagram. And, um, I think that maybe what we'll see is an elevation of that and, and, uh, connecting with must places like mustache and otherwise to put together a little bit more formal live streams. Um, you know, again, set up, uh, in a remote style, <laughs> um, but maybe uh, with the ability to elevate it a little bit, um, higher connecting the threads of technology and, and, and production to, um, make it just that much greater. Um, and I think that will be really fun and interesting to see as well. Um, cause it's a space that is, uh, I think just, uh, it's, it's growing. It's, uh, it's going mm-hmm. through this like, um, metamorphosis a little bit right now. And, uh, we kind of, it got exacerbated I think, during the current situation, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. kind of, I am a very, curious spectator in that space yeah we were even discussing uh long form content and augmented reality and virtual reality some of these types of consuming content that we that aren't necessarily mainstream yet or in long form content kind of had a falling from grace but um this is the perfect time that we were we were kind of discussing how this might be the perfect time for those to gain a foothold or for long form to come back as more audiences are are being captive and watching and consuming more. Do you think that that is true? I, I know you mentioned live events and and I didn't even think of it that way. Obviously that's going back to, like you said, the human connection, but in, in those other forms of content, like virtual reality, augmented mm-hmm. reality, some of those that are kind of on the fringe, do you think they're going to come into the fold and we're going to start seeing more of them now that people are more captive uh, digitally? I hope, honestly, I know from, a personal level that I definitely am more attuned to wanting to uh, check back into long form content. And I I think that that's just also probably a a human psychology um, factor as well, because at the end of the day, we're storytellers, right? And the way that human history evolved over time was through the nature of storytelling. And so as we're hitting a critical part in or a critical moment, if you will, in in human history. Again, it feels like, well, of course, we want to go back to our roots of narrative storytelling. And um, that is just a, a mental trigger that makes a lot of sense right now. I'm sure there are a lot uh, smarter people out there doing psychology and sociological studies right now that could speak to it better than I can. But I do think, yeah. <laughs> that, I do think that that's true. I don't have like scientific fact to back it up either than... Um, my personal friends, family, colleagues, uh, acquaintances, and otherwise that we all seem to be craving that or looking for that and, and checking in with each other. And like, hey, what TV show or movie are you are you watching tonight? Like, what story are you invested in right now? And um, just finding, uh, I think, a push for that a little bit more because we can't go out and have dinner and meet up with anyone or, um, you know, go out in the town for drinks mm-hmm. or to a mixer or anything like that. And so you're, you're looking at like, what am I going to do for entertainment in my living room tonight? Uh, <laughs> just like any other night. <laughs> and it just makes a lot of sense to go ahead and like flip on a movie, um, you know, dive back into the criterion collection. And I, uh, I would think that 
we will, if this continues for, you know, another month or so, obviously we're going to have a need for more and more of that to keep us, uh, to keep our, our appetite fed for it, considering mm-hmm. how much is being consumed uh, by yeah. everyone on a daily basis. Well, and that kind of goes into a question that I was kind of just thinking of too. I mean, like I've seen jokes on Twitter about, well, I finished Netflix today. You know, it's like, (laughs) depending on how long this goes on, you know, with productions and all these different like TV and movie shoots and stuff having to be put on standby, you know, do you think there is a world depending on how long this lasts that we kind of start to run out of that new content? And if so, do you think that switches to more live productions or do you think maybe more smaller scale will still uh, be kind of put into place through stuff like the micro teams approach you mentioned and, you know, filming stuff and directing stuff through zoom calls and, and all that. I cannot imagine a point where we would run out of original content. Quite frankly, I think there are way too many creatives out there and the access point for creation has become Mm -hmm. so easy over the last few years that I, I cannot imagine a world where we're not continuing to see, uh, creation pumped out and uh, the creatives by nature cannot sit on their hands and do nothing. They're just, it's not possible. I look at the directors and the writers and the artists that I know just in my own personal network and they are all making new shit every single day. Am I allowed to curse? Oh yeah. No, I actually, (laughs) I've been good today, but usually I'm the one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, But I don't know. I, I, let's just say, I just don't know anybody that is, that is stopped, you know, they're all finding ways to continue to create. And I think that they have, they, that's happened since day one. Um, you know, um, my partner is a creative, um, he's a music therapist by trade, but a musician, uh, through and through. And there's not a, a moment or a 24 hour period that goes by that that creation doesn't occur. And so I would say if this happened, you know, in the, earlier end of uh, the 1900s maybe (laughs) there wouldn't necessarily be an outlet the creation would be happening but there wouldn't necessarily be a consumption of it but it's Mm -hmm. 2020 and everybody has like seven different devices at their their you know nearest grasp and um ways to pump it out into the world so i think that we'll have a pretty constant stream of stuff it's just going to be you know, maybe a little bit more DIY, a little bit more of these, you know, live stream moments through, um, you know, social channels, uh, maybe yeah. not be as polished, but, uh, or put out by a network, maybe we'll see a dip on that. But even from that end, you've got platforms like, like Quibi, for example, that we all know are really just trying to stockpile as much content as possible and transition yeah. to this new way of producing. And, I, I think that there's enough minds thinking about this proactively. And, and I think it goes back to what I was saying. It's the nature of production and like who production people are by nature. We will just figure it out. We will find a way. To figure it. <laughs> uh, that's, that's just how it is, you know, and, and it's always been like that. And it's, it, I, yeah, I guess I, maybe that's really, um, you know, a little bit, pie in the sky of me or 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 a saccharine belief but I just don't I just don't see a world where we uh we run out of content <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I 
I don't necessarily do either. And I think it's it's reassuring to hear from someone else too. But, uh, you know, I think my, my Roku TV and my, my iPhone are, are glad to hear that they'll have my eyes for a lot longer. <laughs> um, yeah, they are think, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the, uh, and we've kind of touched on this too, the, the, the balance of, you know, because of how we've had to adapt, what is, what are the positives of it? What can we take back? And also still having that yearning and still having that interest and in making sure we can go back to the way things were in, in different capacities as well, you know, once this is over. And I'm, I'm curious, like, as far as like an agency and as far as like the production department with mustache, mustache, like how much do you think things will go back to the way it operated before, before this outbreak? And, and how much do you think it will have changed kind of the way you guys operate on a daily basis? I like to think that there it's, I, I tend to suggest that looking back and trying to re- rewind is just not really correct. I'd rather yeah. think about how we move forward and how do we take what we've learned and, and bridge it into what we're going to continue to do. And so, yeah, I'm sure we will in a sense have production experiences that are more in line with how they were two months ago, but I think that what we've learned in this crisis has been important and it's been, uh, it's unlocked that new path in a lot of our brains. And I don't want to lose that. I would rather us apply that same thinking to mm-hmm. the projects that we have, especially in that social space um, or in that um, daily content space for some of the social retainers that we have, because you really just need to be nimble and uh, quick to react and quick to respond and um, of the moment. And how can we do that and, and do it with more than just like, you know, changing the type on a meme that's circulating around already? How can we be a larger voice uh, in in that space? Uh, so I would really want us to just continue down the path of adapting and evolving because that's what it is. We're going through an evolution, a forced upon us evolution, but mm-hmm. yeah. nonetheless, and I think it runs a little bit in tandem, albeit extreme to what we talked about earlier with that growth of the digital and small screen, because it's where everyone is right now. Um, a lot of people don't even have cable anymore, quite frankly, <laughs> um, and it might just be this might have just been a catalyst that propelled that measure a little bit more and sped up the process a little bit more. But it will be a, a lot of what we are doing and learning right now. I 100% want to carry forward and uh, grow on and and expand from uh, from here. I don't I don't want to go back. I want to just keep moving in this direction and um, getting really innovative and continuing to keep an open mind for how we need to adapt and how we need to evolve. So this is the beginning of a, of a new normal in a sense. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Hopefully. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd rather look at it as a beginning than a pause, quite frankly. It, beginnings are exciting. They are uh, there's a newness to them. There's something that really challenges everyone to step up to the plate and, and roll their sleeves up and get in the mud a little bit. And I'm more drawn to that energy than the sense of like, what are we going to do? And like, oh God, everything stopped down. I'm more like, oh, okay, cool. Everything is starting up in a new way. Um, mm-hmm. at yeah, least I really like that. To frame it. 
Nice. That's perfect. Uh, it leads right into to this final question that we kind of wanted to ask before we, we have a couple fun ones. Um, so obviously this is a global pandemic. It's affecting the world on a scale that we've probably never seen in our lifetimes and many brands have never seen in their existence. Um, and with that being said, what place do you think that brands have in our heart after this? Some have stepped up to the plate uh, to help out. Others have decided to sideline themselves, et cetera, et cetera. But we've seen a lot of different ideas that brands have used to sort of get themselves into this conversation and, and navigate our situation. Uh, what place do you think that those brands have in our heart, as I mentioned, now moving forward? Do you think that has changed fundamentally? given the fact that we all just went through something as severe as a global pandemic, or do you think it's going to stay relatively similar after this? Um, I think that people are paying a lot of attention right now. I don't know that we will continue to pay the attention that we are to these things a month or two months from now, but right now the lens is definitely on and people are taking notice. And it, it I think is really relevant and resonant what brands are using this as uh, an opportunity to exploit versus an opportunity to humanize. And that's a really important conversation from mm -hmm. I think even an ethics standpoint and something that advertising as a whole probably is a little bit scared to touch on a little right now or ever, frankly, because <laughs> you operate a lot in that gray space of when is something, when is a good deed uh, uh, promotional material or just a good deed. And uh, that is something that's pinnacle right now because we see so much messaging that's going on around um, the important um, the, the important anecdotes of staying home and uh, keeping a safe social distance from each other. And then the other side of the coin where we're also profiting and benefiting from that messaging by reminding people to buy the product. Um, and I find that to be a really curious uh, conundrum and hmm. um, probably yeah. that our uh, accounts team doesn't want me to dive too far into <laughs> <laughs> But it is it is something that I think is a provocative conversation that I would love for us to not shy away from, but instead just really attack and talk about with earnestness and honesty in the same way that I think in the in the last very recent years that um, openness to conversations around humanity and mental health and well being has has come to the table a little bit more than it was. We're not doing, we're not as um, used to pushing things under the rug anymore. And although we're not in a completely open and, and free form society uh, and granted I am a New Yorker. So I'm obviously in a uh, microcosm that is traditionally more open than other parts of the country or world for that matter. But I, mm -hmm. Would really enjoy a conversation around this with marketers and brands and advertisers and also just consumers, and to get a better understanding on on what we all really think about it, honestly, and what what's right, what's wrong here. <laughs> uh, but I, I also think that we are at least connecting, and we are uh, acknowledging the the situation or acknowledging um, what needs to be done. And for the brands that have stepped up to the plate and put forward a lot of um, financial backing or other resources to help support um, the crisis and it 
you know, flattening the curve, that's, that should be recognized, I think. And it should be um, pointed out because it's, it is an investment in the human race, quite frankly, on their part and on um, helping the betterment of society. And not everyone is doing it. Not everyone is uh, pulling out of their own pocketbook uh, to help out. And it's important. It's a, it's charitable. It's necessary. And, you know, without it, I'd wor- we'd be worse off. Um, I don't know if I'm really answering this well, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I <laughs> spiraled a little bit because I just have so many, I guess, mixed feelings about it. Um, well, it's but- funny. I mean, oh, sorry. Didn't mean to cut you off there. No, I mean, that was, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> I was, well, I was going to say, it's funny. I mean, Zach and I, when we were talking about this, uh, writing up these questions and kind of planning for this interview, we were like, I mean, this really is just a whole another conversation topic in of itself. Um, yeah. but I think it was a very well said look into that, that topic. And I mean, to your point, you know, I, I don't know if I'm necessarily going to remember the brands that are just advertising the basic stuff right now of like, oh, there's this general need, you know what I mean? And we fill that need, like, I don't know, like, like Zoom, for example, like, I, but the brands that are doing something to help out, I think is stuff that will stick with me. And I will remember, like, I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to really remember from this, you know, a couple of years from now, but I feel like I'm going to remember like, oh, I remember when McDonald's was giving free meals to first responders and to, you know, hospital workers and, you know, doctors and nurses. And like, those are the types of little things that, brands that do have capital to help out that are helping out, I think is important and something that I hope will continue even past, you know, a a global pandemic. Um, But I guess before we get too into the the deep dive, (laughs) that is that topic. um, (laughs) Got some, got some fun questions for you to kind of wrap up the the interview here. Um, Which first one being, I mean, you know, you've talked about, you know, you've, you've done some, some Disney stuff. You've, you've done music videos. You've done something for McGraw Hill uh, you've also done a lot of other stuff as you've gotten more and more into your career. I'm curious what your, whether it's your favorite type of production job, like whether it's film, social, you know, or, or if it's one in particular that that is your just favorite type that you've done over your career. Oh gosh, I think it's it's hard for me to pick one. I just love all of it. I love the differences between them. They all have, uh, they all have special things about them and they all have uh challenges about them i you know i i joke a lot about how painful music videos are but at the same time they're one of the more creative uh opportunities because it's really just about the artist connecting with the director and mm-hmm. uh, putting their heads together to come up with something magical i've really had the privilege to be at the table with the artists and the director and they've also invited me to be creative and flex my creative wings which is really fun um because yeah. Something that producers often get, you know, when you have a background in line producing, you're really just about executing what is being asked and to have the relationships and um, the seat at the table is something that is not, um, not super common and something I'm incredibly gracious for and acknowledge the privilege. And so I would say, although music videos are always low budget and always, very crunch timelines and endless hours and painful to a certain degree. They're also (laughs) creatively exhilarating because, you know, you can come up with all kinds of ideas. You can reference all kinds of art forms and, um, and just really make something 
um, fun for that matter. It doesn't really have to do anything else but be delightful and uh, fun. And there's luxury to that. On the other side of the equation, uh, nothing beats a big advertising budget where you're able to pull in the level of resources that you really need and want and to work with some of the best creators in the industry. And, um, you know, there's a a privilege to having a full scale video village and a, you know, couple of craft Mm -hmm. people that bring you the tiny sandwiches and smoothies all day too. Like that's also pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. That's awesome. I, uh, but on the other side, so is narrative and short form, uh, storytelling. And, and, and I, I actually went to college on a screenwriting scholarship and I had thought for a long time that I would be a writer. And so I think that I'm drawn a lot to that and to narrative storytelling, um, from that sort of like side of my brain that sometimes I, um, forget to uh, nurture. <laughs> uh, so I have very much a passion and a love for that as well. It, it's it's hard. I can't pick just one because I feel like I'm in love with every part of um, every part of it and every part of the way that we tell stories through um, visuals and through video specifically. And it's been something that I've been passionate about since childhood. And that's just never wavered and it's never changed. I never was like, you know, I think I'll be a lawyer. It just, that never happened for me. It was yeah. always, I think I want to tell stories and I want to work with other storytellers. And I want to think about like the coolest uh, way we can do this with the best people that we can get on board. And I'm excited by the challenges of it. It doesn't like, I'm not one of those like roll your eyes producers who's like, nope, we're not going to do that. I'm like, oh, can we do that? How can we do that? Let's do that. <laughs> I think that's cool. That's, I, I like that idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's hard. It means I don't sleep a lot, but, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, I think I, it's, it makes me happy. Yeah. I mean, I think that is the, the, the beauty of advertising and content creation and it, it's so fun. I mean, the, the idea, you know, coming up with the idea and then finding the best platform with it, I feel like each one's its own unique journey. And so like, none are quite like the other and, and each one's kind of special in its own way. Um, yeah. I think, I think another question, a little fun one we have for you is um, a good chunk of our audience is actually those, you know, starting out in their, in their advertising careers. And I'm just curious, you know, for you having the experience you've, you've gained over the years, I'm curious if you have any advice for those, those starting out or something you wish you knew when you were starting. Absolutely. Sure. I try to give this advice pretty consistently to anybody that I'm talking to or mentoring along the way, which is say yes. Say yes to everything, especially when you're starting out. You do not know what you're going to gravitate toward or fall in love with when you're, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old. Your brain is still evolving. Your neurosynapses are not done developing. So say yes. Say yes to everything. Try everything on for size. Get as much, much exposure as possible and ask questions because there is a privilege to being young and entry level because you can ask any question any question to anyone and they should totally answer it and, and happily and tell you about what they do and how they do it and how they got there and what their journey was. And a lot of people are really excited to, to share that because they're not always asked it. Not everyone is taking interest in each other and their, their life stories. And uh, I would encourage anyone starting out to say yes to every opportunity to 
anything that they are offered, even if you think I am above this or they are offering me no money or little money, it's not about that. It's about the access and it's about the exposure because you are building a network from the ground up. You are determining what you are really passionate about and interested in. And that is everything builds up and adds up to where you're going to be, you know, 15 years, 20 years down the road. And I, to this day, try to say yes to everybody that wants to meet with me or sends me an email or a portfolio because you just never know. You never know uh, what that might bridge you to or when that person may cross your path again or when what door it might open, quite frankly. Um, and so the, the biggest advice that I have for anyone and continue to have is just that. Say yes to everything <laughs> when you can. Nice. Um, all right. Final question. Have to ask. And just because you said you can ask any question to anyone. Yeah. This is a tough one. <laughs> um, a very tough one. I'm going to hype it up. Who has the best mustache? At mustache? At mustache or outside of mustache? Anywhere in the world. If you could pick one mustache, which mustache would it be? Burt Reynolds had probably one of the most uh, famous and classic mustaches of all time. So if it's I have iconic, to, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> iconic. It like literally broke hearts. So <laughs> I think if we have to go with mustache of all time, it's slam dunk Burt Reynolds. I have to go on instinct. Malcolm Gladwell always says, "Go with your first response." It was Burt Reynolds. It was always Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. I love it. Well, thank you so much. That's all the questions that we have that we had for you. Excuse me. This was a really, really fun interview for us. Oh, thank you. I had a good time too. I appreciate you guys. Hopefully I didn't spiral on too many rambles. Uh, <laughs> oh no, we, we love, we love that. <laughs> we love going into the, the deep end and just talking about it. <laughs> we yeah. do it ourselves all the time. <laughs> great uh well i'm excited i i'm excited to continue listening to your um your podcast episodes and i'll try to eat salad with them actually that was my question <laughs> why salad oh yeah um so we <laughs> well uh, well no. there were a couple other names we tried and then we realized they were all taken um and we kind of thought salad was just funny and unique and the the meaning we've backed into a little bit um is that um, much like a salad, there's a lot of different ingredients that go into making a great ad, and we kind of dissect and discuss all of them on the show. Um, yeah. It's a so, salad information. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's somewhat of a pun or a metaphor. I don't know. I'm not <laughs> smart enough to figure it out, but we try and go with that. I think I can get with that. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's fun. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you so much. Honestly, like this is one of my favorite interviews. So Aww, thank you so much. I hope you have a good rest of your week, a great weekend. Stay home. Watch. Yeah. The Stay, safe. <laughs> Stay safe. <laughs> I'll be trying yeah. to finish yeah. up Netflix. <laughs> As will we all. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Yeah. 